This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Myself, uh, my son, who's nine years old, his chorus at uh, his elementary school actually sang the national anthem at City Field before the Mets and the Cardinals game. So that was a great thrill. Kids, there's probably a few dozen of them. They did a terrific job. Uh, performing on that stage. It's something that these fourth and fifth graders get to do every year, and it was awesome. All the parents were gathered around, and we were so psyched to see our kids on the field. I mean, it is a big deal uh, for kids like that, and they got out there in front of 40,000 people and rocked the national anthem. So uh, William E. Cottle Elementary School, a terrific job singing the national anthem before today's Mets-Cardinals game. And for me as a dad on Father's Day, getting to watch my son do that, it was awesome. It really was. And then, of course, the Mets go out and they fall behind 5-1 to one before the second inning is over. And they did battle, but they lose the game uh, They lose the game 8-7 to seven to the Cardinals. We, we started the show by talking about the Bradley Beal trade. He appears to be, now the, the, the words that uh, Adrian Wojnarowski are using, uh, there's a framework of a deal that's going to send Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul is the big piece that's going from Phoenix to Washington. Um, it does have some ramifications on the Knicks. You know, when we're talking about how the Knicks can improve their team, we like to talk about this treasure trove of first and second round draft picks, but specifically first round draft picks that they have coming up. And the one caveat to that continues to be the Knicks do not have a first round draft pick this season. It was top 10 protected for the Mavericks. The Mavericks have the 11th pick, therefore, uh, or the 10th pick, excuse me. Therefore, the Knicks did not get that pick this year. The first round pick that the Knicks had themselves, they traded to Portland in the trade for Josh Hart. And I'd say that was a wise investment on the Knicks' ha- uh, behalf. But you look forward, one of the first-round picks the Knicks have coming up is the 2024 first-round pick of the Washington Wizards. Well, the Wizards, what they did today was they signaled that they are in tank mode now. They just traded off their franchise player. Bradley Beal is gone, so they're breaking it down. Player options remain for Kyle Kuzma, who had a really good season last year, and for Chris Stapp's Porzingis, so that remains to be seen. But even if those guys pick up their player options, and I can't imagine Kyle Kuzma doing it. There has been some conjecture that maybe Porzingis will pick up his player option with the salary in the $35 million range. But regardless, there is potential that neither of those two players are going to be on the Wizards. Because once you trade Beal, you know, he's the head of the snake. Once you trade him, you're not going to contend this season. So who are your next... Uh, most valuable assets. It's Kuzma and it's Porzingis. So there's a very good chance they won't be on the team next year either, which means there's a very good chance that Washington's going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA next year and maybe for the next two or three years. And here's how that impacts the Knicks. The Knicks have Washington's first-round pick next year. However, it's top 12 protected in 2024. So if that pick falls within the top 12, the Knicks don't get it and it gets kicked down the road to 2025. Well, in 2025, it's top 10 protected. So there's still a very good chance if Washington's breaking this thing all the way down that they will be picking in the top 10 in 2025. And then in 2026, it's top eight protected. So maybe that's the Knicks' best shot. Maybe the ninth pick or the 10th pick in 2026. But that's a long way down the line. And there's a chance that 
maybe that pick won't even be conveyed, and then it goes away. Then it goes away. If the Knicks can't cash that in in 2024, which seems very unlikely, 2025, which doesn't seem likely, and 2026, it's too far down the line to project, then that's one of the assets that we lovingly talk about when discussing the Knicks treasure trove of draft picks that will just disappear and vanish. And that's a big deal for the Knicks. So that's how this trade, getting rid of Brad Beal and sending him to Phoenix, impacts the Knicks and what they're trying to do. Worst case scenario, it's a asset that Knicks could include in a trade this offseason or at any time. But that pick now has become a lot less valuable because of what happened today. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to the phones. Manny in Flushing joins us. Manny, how you doing? What's up? What's up, uh, Pat? Happy Father's Day to you and your family. You too, Manny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, yes. Um, listen, um, I, look, I can't say I'm surprised that Bradley Beal didn't come to Nick. He went to Phoenix team, which I think that Phoenix, they want to win now, but I just don't think it's unlikely because I just don't see it because I don't think they're better than Denver. I honestly don't think they're better than Sacramento or even Golden State with um, – um, with, with Golden State, if you look at and, and think about this with KD perspective, outside of Golden State, he's been on a bunch of teams that have big three outside of Golden State, and they feel miserably. I mean, OKC, Phoenix, and Brooklyn. Now, if if he can, if if like if Phoenix do not get far, I mean, what? I mean, can we have to question Kevin Durant's legacy? I think it's fair to question Kevin Durant's legacy now, Manny, and I've been doing that for years. Ever since he decided to leave Stephen Curry and willingly play with Kyrie Irving, I'd have to question yeah. his legacy and his sanity. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, when Charles Barkley said about him not being a bus driver, he he got so sensitive. Everybody was on Barkley, but now fast forward one year later, I guess Barkley got the last laugh. As he often does. And I think they call that Manny yeah. laughing all the way to the bank, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, say what you want about Charles Barkley, but Charles Barkley, he knows basketball. He played before KD even even uh, even arrived. So, listen, I'm not like, I'm, listen, I'm, we're not, I'm not always agree with Barkley's takes, but you got to give him credit for being honest and being straightforward to the, to, the, to the point. Here's the deal. And thanks for the call, yeah. Manny. Kevin Durant's legacy is in question right now because what has he done since 2017? And, and here we go, Manny, and, and my producers, um, Julian and Chantel, are probably rolling their eyes right now because I'm about to go in on Kevin Durant, one of my favorite, all-time favorite topics here on 98.7. But just remember, Manny brought it up first. But here's the, here's the deal. Kevin Durant's legacy is extremely, extremely complicated. He was a league MVP and a scoring champ, and as a very, very young player, he teamed with Westbrook and Harden, and he brought Oklahoma City to the NBA Finals. And it was one of the youngest teams to ever get to the NBA Finals. And then Oklahoma City decided that they didn't want to pay James Harden, and they misjudged his value, and they traded him in an ill-fated trade to Houston. And that part of the Oklahoma City Thunder was done. And still, with Durant and Westbrook, the Thunder by 2016, they were so good. Those two guys in particular were still on the verge of knocking out the 73-win Warriors in the conference finals. 
and Golden State came back. They came back in game six in Oklahoma City when the Thunder had a chance to close them out. In that game, Klay Thompson went crazy. Stephen Curry went crazy. And Westbrook and Durant didn't. They were average at best in that game. And that's part of their legacy. And then compounding matters, Durant decided to leave to go to the team that he couldn't close out the year before. And he immediately won two championships and was the finals MVP both times. But you have to ask yourself, and it's a fair question, how difficult is it to be the finals MVP when you have Kevin Durant's skill set and you have Curry here and Draymond Green there and Klay Thompson there? And you just have safety valves everywhere you look on the floor. All you've got to do is go out there and do your thing. I mean, that's it was a loophole in the collective bargaining agreement that allowed Durant to go to Golden State in the first place. The Warriors took advantage of it. Credit to them. It led to two more championships and elongated their legacy, um, their dynasty. And Durant was the beneficiary of it. And then after 2019, after he ruptured his Achilles, he had already decided he wanted to leave because he wanted more. And he went to Brooklyn, and he sat out an entire season. And here's the part where Durant's legacy gets real complicated for me. It's the 2021 season. It was the first full season back after COVID. And the Nets were in the second round of the playoffs after demolishing the Celtics in the first round. And they just looked like a juggernaut. That was Harden was already was there by that point. Durant and Irving, it was the first time in those playoffs, really, that those three guys played together for a consistent stretch of basketball. And they were unbelievable against the Celtics. And Durant was was the top guy. And then you go to the second round against Milwaukee and Harden hurts his hamstring. And then in game four, Kyrie sprains his ankle. And now all of a sudden it's KD against the Bucks with Giannis and Chris Middleton, who was playing the best basketball of his career, and Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez and the eventual NBA champions. And Durant single-handedly almost beat them. He single-handedly almost beat them. So that's also got to be part of his legacy. But here's the other thing. Almost. He almost single-handedly beat them. He didn't beat them. So that's part of his legacy. So, yeah, if you're just looking at this black and white, Durant has never, ever been the best player on a team, the top player on a team that won an NBA championship. He never has. And now he's 34 years old. And now he's moved into the phase of his career where he misses at least a month every single season. And when he plays, he can still play at a very high level. He played at a very high level earlier this season before he requested his trade from Brooklyn when they won 18 out of 20 games in December. was playing at a very high level. He was an MVP candidate. And then what happened? He got hurt. And by the time – and he never played another game for them again because before he was able to come back, Irving requested a trade – And then once Irving was gone, Durant jumped ship. He went to Phoenix, and away they went. So, yeah, he has never, and he's just, the the worst part about Durant is his decision-making. Not on the court, off the court. Like, the decisions that this guy has made about his career have been so damaging to his legacy. Because what is Durant? He's such a uniquely gifted basketball player. He's one of the greatest offensively talented basketball players the game has ever seen, ever. And on the court, all he wants to do is put his head down and work hard and play basketball. And now those are traits that you have to respect. But he's kind of self-sabotaged a large part of his legacy because of poor decisions that he's made. I, I would have told him day one when you went to Golden State, you're not going to get full credit for winning any NBA championships you win there. 
And he was dumb enough to think that not only would he get full credit, but he was thinking, all right, well, I beat LeBron in the finals. My team beat LeBron's team in the finals. And I'm the finals MVP. So I should now be thought of as the best player in the world. And that was just preposterous. First of all, he was never going to be thought of as the best player on his team because he had a two-time MVP in Stephen Curry, and the team had just won 73 games. And the year before that, they won the NBA championship. So he was not only not going to be thought of as the best player in the world because it was still LeBron James, but he was going to be thought of as the top guy on his team, and he never was. And then that angered him. So then he left, and he went to Brooklyn, where he would be thought of as the best player on his team. But you know what? That didn't give him the best chance to win because he teamed up with the wrong guy. And this is kind of the story of Durant's career, right? He's finally teamed up with who seems like the right guy. You know, Devin Booker is as good as there is in the NBA. And there were a couple of games in the playoffs when he and Durant were combining to score 80 points or 70 points or 65 points, and they looked absolutely unstoppable. And Booker's in the prime of his career. But Durant is not, right? So he should have gone with a guy like Booker four years ago instead of going with that career killer Kyrie Irving. But again, a poor decision by Kevin Durant has damaged his legacy, and he's running out of time. You know, just like the Mets are running out of time this season to salvage things, Kevin Durant is running out of time. He's 34 years old, and he's coming off a second-round playoff exit. You know, this whole Bradley Beal trade is designed to capitalize on whatever window is left for Kevin Durant to continue playing at a high level. He showed this year he can still play at that high, high, high level. He just can't do it consistently enough. And he's got a lot of help in Devin Booker, and he has help seemingly now in Bradley Beal if Beal can stay healthy and if Beal is the right fit. But that remains to be seen. I think it's going to have a little bit of an element of the big three for the Nets with Durant and Irving and Harden. At some point when you have just so much offensive talent together, the cream is going to rise to the top. But what's going to happen when Durant misses a month with his annual injury? What's going to happen when Bradley Beal misses the 20 to 25 games that he's been missing each and every season? What's going to happen when Devin Booker misses the 10 games that he misses each and every season? And will they all ever be at the top of their game at the same time in the playoffs? And then one more step for you. If they are, are they still going to be good enough to beat the Denver Nuggets? It's a lot of ifs. It's a lot of ifs for that Phoenix team. And really the, the legacy of Kevin Durant hinges on it. It does. Now, if Durant wins in Phoenix, his legacy is enhanced tenfold because... The stench of leaving Golden State the way he did to team up with Kyrie Irving, that's in the past now. All right, he didn't force his way out of a super team this time to go to a lesser situation where he could be the man. He got out of a bad situation in Brooklyn. It was bad largely because of his own doing, but bad nonetheless. So I think if he goes to Phoenix and can win there, that would enhance his legacy tenfold. It's not too late, but... It's clear that he's running out of time. Kevin Durant, ladies and gentlemen. Your thoughts on him? Your thoughts on Bradley Beal? How does this impact the Knicks and more on 98.7 ESPN New York? This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
the second straight day, second straight game, excuse me, they played earlier today, uh, Glaber Torres helping lead to some offense in the first inning, a leadoff walk, a double by Torres, and then an RBI ground out by Anthony Rizzo. Yanks lead one nothing in the, well, at the end of the first inning, Luis Severino on the mound. We had a caller last hour ask about the yellow uniforms that the Red Sox are, are wearing. Um, it's part of the, the City Connect edition, and these are Patriots Day-inspired uniforms that are being worn by the Boston Red Sox, and they rolled them out last year. They're back tonight on this nationally televised game. It does look like the UCLA colors. It's that yellow uh, jersey with Boston written across the chest in that light blue and with a light blue hat with a yellow B on it. So that's what the Red Sox are sporting tonight. They're looking for the three-game sweep over the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees, for the second time today, out early. Yankees led 2-0 in the first game, three batters into the game, and they scored absolutely nothing the remainder of the afternoon in losing 6-2. to two. So the Yanks trying to snap a three-game losing streak. They are seven games above five hundred. The Mets are now 3-11 and in their last 14 games after losing to the Cardinals for the second straight day. And the Mets are a season-high five games below 500. 1-800-919-3776. Let's get some calls in now. Let's go to Richard in Manhattan. Richard, how you doing? Hi, Pat. Nick's got to get Bradley Beal. To this day, offense is the most, most important thing in well, basketball. Well, he, he, he's gone. He's on the Suns. Oh, he did sign with Phoenix. I mean, yeah, wow. the, the deal's going to go through, so... They're not getting them. No, who does Phoenix give uh, Washington? Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, a pick swap, and some second-round picks. That's all? Washington, uh, Phoenix want, Washington wants to break this whole thing down. The, the most uh, Knicks could not come up with a better offer than that? What's a Beal-Brunson backcourt look like for the Knicks? Who are those guys guarding? It doesn't – Pat, you know in this it's day It's not all age, about offense. It's not. It's, it, that's why Quentin Grimes is important to this team. It's not. The Knicks, really? Uh, maybe – I mean, I'm an old-school guy, so I, you I know, know you defense are. was important in the it's, 70s up until the late 80s and 90s. Just because the scores are higher doesn't mean defense is not important. In the Miami series, the Heat did a great job. Whoever Brunson was guarding, that's who they gave the ball to. Now if you have Beal out there also, you don't really have to – hunt out the matchup with the weak defender because you'd have two guys out there. That's why it's so dangerous. De defense is still considered something in the NBA then. Defense is considered something in the NBA, Richard, yes. Wow, I'm surprised. I thought you just have to outscrape. And he's going, and I don't, do you think that Phoenix gave up a lot? I don't think they gave up much at all. I look at it a couple of ways, Richard. Thanks for the call. I look like at Rose. it like this. You too. Um, Phoenix was about to cut ties with Chris Paul. They were going to release him. So instead of releasing him, they get Bradley Beal for him. Now, is it the best fit? Is it the perfect fit? No, it's a dynamic. I think when you have such a plethora of offense together, and again, I go back to the 2021 Brooklyn Nets, who I think, and I still say this, the Nets in 2021, if Kyrie Irving doesn't sprain his ankle in game four against the Bucks, the Nets would have won the championship that year. That's why people need to, I, I know Irving rubs everybody the wrong way, myself included. Durant rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Harden rubs a lot of people the, the wrong way. I think it's easy to take a broad brush approach to that whole four-year era of Durant and Irving in Brooklyn and say it was a colossal failure. The one thing you got to remember is if Irving doesn't sprain his ankle in the second round against Milwaukee, the Nets are going to win the championship that year. There's no 
question about it in my mind. They would have beaten Phoenix in the NBA Finals. Remember who Milwaukee had to beat in the conference finals? They had to beat Atlanta because Atlanta beat Philadelphia when Ben Simmons imploded. The Nets would have run past Atlanta, and they would have beaten Phoenix in the finals, and they would have been champions, and we would have looked at that entire team differently. But, hey, it didn't happen. But back to what Richard was saying, if you have a Durant and a Booker and a Beal together offensively, it does, to me, have some of the same characteristics as when Durant was with Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Sometimes when you have, like, three offensive dynamic players on that level, then, yeah, you can go out and outscore guys. And the Nets were going to outscore guys on their way to a championship that year. But it's very rare when you put guys... The, the Knicks don't have that. You know, Bradley Beal coming to the Knicks, is he an offensive upgrade over Grimes or quickly? Of course he is, if he's healthy, by the way, if he's on the floor. But does he make their overall team better? I don't think he does. I don't think he does. And what was most attractive to Washington in that deal? Why was Phoenix able to get Beal? Because Washington wanted the expiring contract of Chris Paul. They are breaking this whole thing down. They are stripping it all the way down. And they're starting from scratch. They've got a new guy in charge, Michael Winger, who was part of building up the LA Clippers to the point where they were able to bring in um, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Now, that didn't work out either. But the fact that the Clippers were the team that was able to bring those two guys in four years ago, this guy's good. And he knows what he's doing. And he's got a plan. And his plan, plan look, he's been there for two weeks. And already Beal's out of town. The most attractive thing to Washington was that Chris Paul contract. And they're still hoping to spin it off to a third team and get even more assets. Because there are teams out there that could use Chris Paul. Contending teams. Washington has no use for Chris Paul. I'll be shocked if he ever wears a Wizards uniform. They'll either buy him out or their hope is to spin him off to a third team and accumulate even more assets. Let's go to Joe in Brooklyn. What's up, Joe? Hi, I'm in the tunnel, so I might lose you. But I, you know, I got a problem with what you said about Kevin Durant not being the best player on his team. Top player, when top player. I, I, he top wasn't. The, he wasn't the top player. He was not the top player. I, listen, I understand Steph Curry's first ballot Hall of Fame changed changed the game. Your best shooter of all time. He was not the best player on that team. Kevin Durant's been the best best player in the league, other than other than LeBron James, basically since he's been in the league. I don't know how you how you don't think he's better than Steph Curry. Then why was he never able to win a championship except for the two years that he was with Steph Curry? All the other guys that are on that shortlist as the best guys in the league. It doesn't take one player to win a champion, a basketball championship. But you know all that. the other guys it on does. that short list of best player in the league, your LeBrons, your Steph Currys, they've all won championships. Why has Kevin Durant never been able to do it except right. for the two years he was with Curry? They've, they've all had help. LeBron, LeBron didn't win a championship. LeBron took, took the Cavs to championship with nobody. I'll give him that. But he didn't win it. But here's he needed and, help. Everyone needed. Everyone needed listen, help. There's nobody that didn't need help. Was Durant, Durant wanted the, to win rings, so he went to the Golden State. You can't fault the man for that. He could have stayed at OKC and, but never, he's gotta, and never he's won got a ring. Yeah, but the point that I always make about Durant, Joe, is he's got to own his decision. He should have understood. He he wanted to win his ring, which he did, and that was great. But he never wanted to get any of the backlash that was inevitably going to come along with the decision that he made. You I lose disagree. to a team, and he and, and, and he never owned that. And that's the problem I have with Durant. And I'm always careful. And if I said best player mistakenly, I probably corrected myself and didn't mean to say it. Because was he the best player on that team? 
probably you can make a very strong case, but I'm always very careful when I talk about this, Joe, is to say he was not the top player. And to me, the top player is more than the best player. It's the leader of the team. It's the culture setter of the team. And it's got to be one of the best players on the team. And he was never that in Golden State. All right, listen, you can make the argument that Steph Curry is – I mean, I just, I completely disagree. I, I think there's no way Steph Curry is better than Durant. But, listen, he's a first ballot. That's not thing, what I'm I saying. It. I'm but saying I, he, Steph Curry is more Kevin important Durant to the team. I don't think Durant cared about the backlash that he would receive going to Golden State. He, he wanted did. to win, win rings. I don't think he cares what anybody thinks. I think he cares what everybody thinks. He's one of the most sensitive superstar athletes I've ever seen in my life. He's probably listen, listening when, when right now and firing done. off some tweets. What's that? When it's all said and done, we're going to think of Kevin Durant as one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I, I agree. Think of I already think of him as that. Yeah, so I think he knows that too. He does. Look, it doesn't mean he's without his flaws. I think he's the top 15 player of all time right now, Joe, and thanks for the call. He, it doesn't mean he's with, he's without his flaws. Everybody has, you know, go, go down the list of the top 15 guys of all time. Everybody's got flaws. Right, whether their personality quirks or they weren't the, you know, Kobe Bryant wasn't the best teammate at all times. Shaquille O'Neal was lazy at times and couldn't shoot free throws. Right, Kevin Durant's one of his flaws has been, as I just said, it's been his decision making regarding his career. I think his career would be thought of on a much higher level if he was just smarter with his decisions about his career. And again, I know it's just words, but the top player on the team. Is, is Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the top Golden State Warrior. He has been ever since 2013 when Mark Jackson was coaching that team. It's his team. Durant was never going to be that guy. Was he going to be the most talented player? Was he the most talented player during the three years he was there? Perhaps. In the NBA Finals, he certainly was. That's why he won back-to-back -back NBA Finals MVP. But we're talking about a small sample size. We're talking about five games one year and four games the next year. He was the best player over... Those two series for sure. But Steph Curry, it was, oh, he thought he was going to be the top dog in Golden State. It was going to be Durant's team and it was going to be Durant's league. And when neither of those things happened, he wanted out because he's like, what else do I have to do? And I, what else do you have to do? You have to not do it in Golden State where they're already a championship team, where they've already won 73 games and almost won a second championship. You've got to go do it somewhere else. Or do it in Oklahoma City. He was the top. He was the top guy on that team. I will get to the Mets. I will continue to follow along the Yankees. Severino looking good so far. They're in the bottom of the second. Yankees. Hey, Luis, they got your run. That's all you get this evening with the Yankees offense going the way it is these days. It's Pat O'Keefe on ninety-eight-seven ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Pat O'Keefe with you on ninety-eight-seven here till ten. Um, this was supposed to be game seven of the NBA finals. And at no point did I ever think that I wasn't going to be doing this show tonight. Uh, if the heat and nuggets were playing, uh, deciding game seven tonight, I would have obviously been preempted for that game here on 98, seven. And at no point did I think this show was ever in jeopardy. And that's exactly how the NBA finals played out with, uh, it seems like forever ago, but it was just on Monday with Denver, capturing the first NBA championship in franchise history. And now things are already starting to move towards next year. First of all, the draft is five days away. It's Thursday night at Barclays Center. The big trade earlier today that has yet to be completed but appears to be on his way to, be doing, uh, to, to doing so, Bradley Beal going to Phoenix 
in exchange for Chris Paul and Landry Shamit, some pick swaps and some second round picks. That's what Washington gets out of the deal. Mainly Washington gets off the Bradley Beal contract and Phoenix has itself a new big three. Now, how long will they have that big three together? With the new collective bargaining agreement set to kick in in a couple of years, making it virtually impossible to maintain financial solvency as an NBA team with three superstar players, which is what Washington has right now. It's going to be extremely difficult, but they're going to give it a go for the time being. They're going to give it a go this year for Phoenix and see what happens because the window for Kevin Durant to be uh, at the top of his game, and he still showed signs this past season that he can be at the top of his game. Now, he can't do it over 82. He doesn't even play 82. He can't do it over every single game that he plays, but it is still in there, just not as consistent as it used to be. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Tommy on Long Island. Tommy, what's going on this evening? Hi, Pat. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm a, a big uh, Nick fan, but I, I'm, I'm not into that right now. Can I ask you about, did you watch the Met game today? Yeah, I was at the Met game today. And it was it was like, you know why we lost this game? It's, it's relief pitching. Well, the bullpen's not good. I know. We don't get a clutch hit. It's, you know, explain something for me why they're so bad. Hello? Say that again? Why are they so bad in that situation? Well, it's not a very strong lineup, Tommy. And uh, yeah. and thank th- and thanks for the call. It's, 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 it's not a strong lineup. You have a bunch of guys in this Mets lineup that are underperforming. The bullpen is not good. The team is built around two future Hall of Fame pitchers that are on the back nine of their careers, maybe the back six of their careers. But in recent years, like, and when I say recent, I mean as recent as last year, we're still top pitchers in the league. It's contingent on Verlander and Scherzer being dominant at the top of the rotation, just like Scherzer and DeGrom were last year when DeGrom was healthy and able to pitch. But the problem in that scenario is twofold, it's threefold. There are several problems with that scenario. First of all, they haven't been lights out. They've been inconsistent. Secondly, when they have been lights out, like Verlander was terrific on Wednesday night against the Yankees. That pitcher's duel, he and Garrett Cole, that's how the game was built up. Former teammates in Houston, Verlander, the multiple-time Cy Young Award winner, Cole, several near misses. Two top, top pitchers in the game, and they gave us a great pitcher's duel, one, one through six innings. It was awesome. But that's it ended there. Verlander gives you six innings. That's as good as you can hope for from Justin Verlander or as good as you can hope for from Max Scherzer, and it's still only six innings. So where are the other three innings coming from? And our last caller had a good point. The bullpen is not good. He's not the only one making that point, by the way. We all know that the bullpen is not good. Now, the bullpen today wasn't terrible. You know, Carrasco was the problem today. Carrasco, he gives up two runs in the first inning, and then the Mets get one back, and then he immediately gives up three in the second, and the Mets answer with three, and then he gives up a home run in the third inning. And finally, Buck had enough, and that was it for Carrasco. He lasts three innings, and he gives up six runs. Five of them earn runs. The bullpen did a good job. You know, John Curtis came in, gave up just a home run in two and two-thirds innings. Leone got an out. Brooks Raley, a shutout inning. David Robertson has been terrific, a shutout inning. And then Adam Adovino gives up the 
eventual game-winning home run at the top of the ninth inning to Nolan Arenado. So the bullpen wasn't the problem today. The bullpen has not been good this year. Adovino hasn't been great. Outside of Robertson, there's very little depth in that bullpen. And if the best you can hope for, and I believe the best you can hope for, is what you got from Verlander on Wednesday. If the best that you can hope for is six innings of shutout ball or one-run ball, then you need your bullpen to pick up a huge slack every single night. Three innings every single night, and the Mets' bullpen right now is not constructed to do that. And that's just on one side of the ball. We haven't even gotten to the offense yet. You know, Pete Alonso is the best slugger in the National League. He had a somewhat miraculous return from his injury and was back out there today. Now he went 0 for 4 and he struck out three times, but he was rusty and he's probably still a little bit sore. But it was great to see him back out there because they absolutely need his bat in the middle of the lineup. But who on this Mets team is having a good season outside of Alonzo? Brandon Nimmo is. Okay, yeah, at the top of the lineup, he gets on base every single game. He's got a 380 on base percentage. He's got a OPS above 800. He went two for five today. He knocked in a couple of runs. He had a double. He was on base two more times today. All right, Brandon Nimmo's having a good season. Starling Marte has not been good. Francisco Lindor, despite his home run today, has not been good. He's batting 213 with a 294 on base percentage. Tommy Pham has been up and down. He, he looks like he could be an answer in this lineup. Francisco Alvarez, you like. Inconsistent, yes, but he might be the rookie of the year. He's your catcher of the future. There's no question about it. Jeff McNeil won the batting title last year. Jeff McNeil's a hitter. He gets on base, and he, he gets hits. He's batting 272 right now. Now, in this day and age of baseball, you think 272, that's awesome. Give this guy a five-year contract extension, but when Jeff McNeil's entire game is hitting 320 on singles, 272 is not going to cut it. Eduardo Escobar is not good. Marcana hasn't given you anything this season. Daniel Vogelback hasn't given you anything this season. Every single guy in that lineup, except for Alonzo, except for Nimmo, and except for Alvarez, has underperformed this season. So let's add it all up. The starting pitching is inconsistent. When it is good at the top of the rotation with Scherzer and or Verlander, they still are unable to give you length. So when your starting pitcher can't give you more than six innings, you've got to rely on the bullpen. The Mets don't have a good bullpen. They have David Robertson and a bunch of guys you throw out there and you hope for the best. And then offensively, you have a terrific slugger in Alonzo. You have a really good top of the order, get on base guy in Nimmo. And you have a very promising and good-looking young catcher in Alvarez. And that is it. How? And that's the, that's the biggest concern about this Mets team. Where are the answers, right? The answers are they already have the biggest payroll in baseball. We know this, right? Ad nauseum. We talk about it every single day. So the expectation shouldn't be to go out of the franchise and out of the organization and look for answers. The answer should be in the organization. And the answers are for Marte to play better, for Lindor to play better, for McNeil to play better, for Escobar to play better, for Canada to play better. Oh, okay, cool. No problem. Easier said than done, and that is the predicament the Mets are in. But the one thing we know, if those things don't happen and don't happen soon, what are they right now? They're 33-38, and 38, so they've played 71 games. So they're about a week and a half away from being at the midway point of the Major League Baseball season. And I know the recent history. Last year, Phillies under 500 in June. One, uh, made it to the World Series. 2019, Nationals under 500 in June won the World Series. 
you tell me, if you watch this Mets team day in and day out, do you really feel like this team can flip the switch and go on that type of run? How would you watch this team play over the last two weeks and think that's remotely possible with what they have? Unless all of those guys or a high percentage of those underperforming guys that I just named start to turn things around. And that is the trouble with the Mets right now. More thoughts on them. We'll continue to update you from Fenway Park as the Yankees and the Red Sox are tied at one at the bottom of the third inning. And it's getting tight at the U.S. Open in Los Angeles. It's Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York.